Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. You can be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Well, look at y'all. Finally, it feels like we're having church again. One of these days. One of these days. So good to have you all here. Thank you for coming this morning. I'm going to invite uh, any of the grads that are here today to uh, come on up. I know we have... One of the, yeah, one of the Borax boys, I think Josh. We've got, um, we've got uh, Justice. Yeah, good, come on up. Oh, good, we have Shelby. Oh, no, oh, no. Come on up. Come on up, that's great. Oh, just right down here is good, thanks. Part of the, um, the thing about um, Sunday mornings, we get to celebrate these little graduation moments. They're not small, they're big, big. Big, and you guys have went through a body of training and discipline, and so we're going to ask the Lord to guide and direct your steps. Josh, you've been you've been uh, involved for a long time in the youth, haven't you? Adam, how long? That long? You got to think about it. Long time, huh? Yeah. Really, that's excellent. Um, what we want to do at a crossroads like this is we want as a church, we want to bless their steps and bless their direction. And um, probably one of the most, um, the, one of the weirdest questions that we could ever ask our kids is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because, frankly, I don't want to grow up. <laughs> but, I mean, usually at that age, you really don't know. And so at this, at this stage, we just want to pray for God's direction and his blessing and um, that he would order your steps. And uh, you've already, you know what you guys are doing in a few months. You're getting married. They're going to get married in September. It's really exciting. Marriage is the only thing you get a license for first, and then you get the tests after. <laughs> should have the test before, like when you get a gun, you have to do the, marriage is more dangerous than that. <laughs> Just agree with me as we pray for these. Father, I thank you for these, the young men and women, Lord, that will be shaping our future, that this morning, that you're directing their step. Father, I thank you that uh, for the discipline and the direction that they've taken so far and Father, we just pray that your hand would be upon them and guide them in direction. Father, I thank you that you still lead and that they are submitting themselves, Lord, this next season. And we just bless them. We thank you for them. And we celebrate this time of graduation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Congratulations. Well done, you guys. That's good. It's nice to have Sophie and Elijah here. These are the Garrett children that endured the 12 years here back in, uh, way back when, when we started the church, Sophie and Elijah Garrett. They've all grown up now. Some of you remember them from back in the day. 
Nice to have you all, Gary and Wendy and Alex and Marion, and just good to see you all. We've, we're now in a such a delicate time as we're just about to uh, uh, hopefully open up the church more and more and more and the province. And uh, I never um, presume to know any anybody's specific battle unless they share that with me, but what I do know is that everybody is facing a battle. Everybody is constantly facing some sort of a challenge, and many times it's on a Sunday morning that people come looking for solutions and answers, and what does the Bible say, and what's the Holy Spirit doing? And so it's our desire to help you make those decisions and look into the scriptures. I want to welcome everybody that's online, everybody in the foyer. And um, I just want to welcome you all here today. I have a particular battle of my own I'm fighting. Um, <clears throat> we, um, springtime, well, here's what happens to me. Um, in the wintertime, the, uh, we have a, a particular family of mice that make themselves at home under our deck. And so it's my role as a leader of the home to trap them, little rascals. <clears throat> well... I've not been doing that great with trapping recently, and so the mother of the house reminds me that these little critter, critters are not welcome in the house, um, and so I've, uh, I've taken to a different tactic in dealing with them. Um, they, uh, the, my deck is here, my study office is here, I got a little, <clears throat> I got a patio door and a deck, my armchair here, and I get to look outside, and... Um, I have a, I feed the birds out there, I call it my Twitter feed, <coughs> and um, what happens is the birds get in there, you know, and they throw the seeds out of the feeder box, and these little mice, they're starting to think like they're the head of the top of the food chain, because they can just do whatever they want, and they come right up my deck, and they eat the bird feed. Well, <clears throat> so I have this pellet gun <laughs> that I keep beside my Bible. And they think they can get away with eating the bird feed. And so the, the only thing my wife likes, uh, dislikes more than me shooting mice off the deck is the mice themselves. Reminds me of Groundhog Day a little bit. But uh, I'm doing not too bad. It's a pretty small target, but I'm doing not too bad. Um, everybody's facing a battle. <laughs> Mine are particularly little rodents right now. And I'm doing my best to get on top of that. I want to thank everybody that showed up for the all-in night the other night and online. We had a great time, so thank you for everybody that made that all work. Um, I want to. I want to. I've been given the. Do I have a picture? Yeah. So they've let me just do whatever I want for a couple of weeks. When I say they, I mean like uh, us. But they just said, just speak whatever's on your mind and go ramble on down the highway and see what you can do. And uh, so I've been uh, taking what I've been reading in Scripture each morning, and somewhat it's turned into a little series about what's God's like, what, what, what is God really like. And I'm finding as I read through, I read through the Old Testament and the New Testament often together, and I'm seeing some of these brilliant qualities of the Lord in the Old Testament that kind of have been hidden from me because of the revelation we have of the New Testament of what God's really like. And uh, Jesus is known to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. And um, 
I came across that passage in Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Uh, if you think about that for a second, because it's my desire the Lord builds this house, uh, sadly, he has to use fallen people to build his house. And we don't always do as good a job as we'd like to, but the, the point is he, he partners and co-labors with people on earth to fulfill his mandates and his will. We're meant to honor the government's but we're meant to serve the Lord. You don't want to get that kind of backwards. But we were meant to honor our governments, and we've done the best we could. But what we're trying to do in the meantime is we're trying to build the house. The mission and the mandate of a local church is to be building the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, as you're reading, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you've covered 1 Kings chapter 5, 6, 7. And we see a picture of Solomon building the temple which is a pretty good picture of building the house. Not perfect, but pretty good. And um, I find it a, uh, an interesting uh, model for us because what he did and, and, and what we're having right now taking place in society is the redefinition of church. Uh, the the re, redefining of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's happening all over the place. I'm not sure if you're aware of some of the dismantling of the foundations of the Christian faith or not, but it's all being re-explored if you can. And, and this is a, a, a serious concern for me. The house of the Lord was, was a very specific place. Um, it was a dedicated place. It was a sanctified place. And what set apart the house of the Lord was it was a place of sacrifice. We live in a world where People live very much for themselves, and the idea of even showing up at church on a regular basis and intending to uh, be taught and led and follow and all of that is kind of up for grabs. And so I just want to reaffirm the importance of the people of God gathering in the house of God and expecting to encounter the presence of God. That's, that's why we come. That's why we worship. That's why we pray before you come is so that you can have an encounter with the Lord, not an encounter with the Lorn. Don't get that confused. <clears throat> so we've dedicated this place to the Lord, and we've dedicated uh, the service uh, every morning to the Lord. And, uh, and now what I want to look at is I want to do a little review of last week where we looked at uh, David, and uh, he wanted to show some kindness because he had made a promise to the house of Saul, specifically to Jonathan, and uh, he f went and found young Mephibosheth, who was deformed, but uh, which you and I are a picture of that, someone who is unable uh, to get to the table of the king, but we're brought to the table of the king. And, uh, and it revealed the kindness of the Lord. I want to keep talking about the kindness of the Lord, because I'm seeing more and more of that as I look at 1 Kings chapter 3 this morning. And, um, and I was just you know, really taken by this uh, um, quality of God is that how kind God is. And, I, and I, I want us to settle there a little bit because really we're told that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, the ability to change our thinking. And I find over and over the image of God is very marred and we have some uh, um, hidden <clears throat> thoughts that he is angry 
or that he, he needs something from us or that we never quite measure up. And in David's case, this picture was he was Mephibosheth like you and I were crippled and couldn't get to the table, but he sends his servant, the Holy Spirit, and he brings him to the table. <clears throat> you, you, we can't come to God unless we are drawn to God. You can't just wake up someday and think, I'm going to do this. It requires a Holy Spirit at work in your life to bring you into the king's presence. <clears throat> um, again, it's a partnership where we, we get to decide uh, if we want to or not. But one of the m- major Luciferian lies is that God is mad and that he is not good. <clears throat> Therefore, the things that happen, the, the evil and the difficult things that happen in the world because God's not good, that's why bad things are happening in the world. Let me, let me remind you that he did not remove free will choice from people. <laughs> You always have a choice. Evil things happen because of sinfulness and personal choice. So so you and I are the ones that need to submit to his purpose and his design and his desire before we see his kingdom established on the earth. Okay? God's God's good. We sing about it, but we do we live like it? And and that's my question. He's not, or that's my point. Um, he's not angry, he's not upset, he's not disappointed and he's not disqualifying you. And, um, and I, I just want to move through that a little bit more today. Um, the foundation of the life of a disciple is repentance. Uh, we're told in Hebrews chapter 6 that one of the foundations is the repentance from dead works and faith towards God. There, uh, there's, there's six qualities there in chapter 6, I, but those two are quite important for me. The repentance, in other words, the changing our mind about things that are dead. The repentance. Repentance from dead works, not evil works. Evil is just evil. This is dead work. Stuff that we think gets us to God and qualifies us for God, but it's actually dead. It's ineffective. We have to change our mind about the things that makes us alive to God. And we need to repent about those things. We need to have a change of mind. But we won't unless we have... Faith towards God, understanding who he is, that he is good and he is kind. And because of that, I want to trust him. Faith, by definition, is trust. We have a temptation to trust things that maybe aren't the Lord. (laughs) Y'all got to trust something. I'm just thinking of things I shouldn't say right now. But the best way you can prepare for the future is learn to trust the Lord and not lean on your own understanding and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into greater dimensions of truth. God bless our government, but we're to trust in the Lord. All right. The reason we can trust the the Lord is because he's kind. You will not trust somebody that you're afraid of. You might obey out of fear, but you won't trust. Nobody trusts people that, are, that don't care about them. We, we don't trust people we're afraid of. The reason I'm asking you to trust in the Lord because he's kind and he's good and his mercy endures forever. We can trust him. Um, I read in 1 Kings, when, when you read first the Kings together, 
First, first and second kings. Uh, the kings are about eight different kings over a period of about 400 years. Um, I try to read Kings and Chronicles together. Chronicles is about both kingdoms, and it's a priestly perspective on what's taking uh, place in the land. Kings is about the kings and the ascension to the throne and the movement of kings and their example. These things were written for our example. We don't need to make the same mistake as people in the Bible if we read the Bible and then we uh, calibrate our life uh, accordingly. Um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed reading about David and Solomon. And uh, the, the instant that Solomon ascended the throne, everybody knew he's not like David. Um, this, is, this is interesting to me. I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 because I want to talk about his dream that he had. Um, um, it, you, I may be overthinking this a little bit, but just in terms of the binary nature of wisdom, it's either earthly or heavenly. There, there's a wisdom that's from above and there's a wisdom from on earth. It would seem to me that, that David was constantly seeking the wisdom that's from above. This is, this is what the book of James says. There's two types of wisdom. One of, them, one of them is peaceable, um, easy to be entreated, and it's actually full of mercy. The wisdom from above is full of mercy. I love that. I don't always do that, but I love that. And then, and then it says of, says of David that like he was a worshiper. Sure, he was a warrior, but he was a worshiper. It says <clears throat> that, he, that of, of Solomon that he made all kinds of studies and, and, and wrote lots of journals about the biology and about the created things. But David, on the other hand, he worshiped the creator. One was very focused on what was taking place here. But it didn't start that way. But through his life, he did, tended to focus on an earthly plane. And, and David was constantly seeking the will of the Lord. We're told how we move from earthly wisdom to heavenly wisdom in first J, or James chapter 1, verse 25. If you look intently into the, the perfect law of liberty, I'm coming back to the law of liberty, freedom. This frees us. And when we look intently, not just read it quickly, but you look intently. What's that mean? That means that we take the word that, we, that we're studying and we allow it to take a place and have a room in our life. We look intently into it. We don't just read across it quickly. We look into it intently, and then we do as it says. Big deal. It's a very big deal. So, so um, David was a shepherd. Solomon was a celebrity. He seemed to be more of a negotiator. And, um, and David was a warrior, but he was also a worshiper. Let me just look at 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll scoot through this, and, um, and I'll get us into some very interesting thoughts, and then um, I want to share with you the gospel, because it's the power of God. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, it says, Solomon made an alliance with the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, married one of his daughters, uh, brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish the, his, his palace in the temple of the Lord. And the wall around this city at that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local altars for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord. This is how he starts. A good start doesn't ensure a good finish. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all of the instructions of his father David. Uh, except that Solomon too, he offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local altars. The most important of these altars was at Gibeah. So the king went there and he sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. Whew. That night, after time of sacrifice, that night, <clears throat> the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and he said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. 
Solomon, <clears throat> excuse me, Solomon replied, you were wonderfully kind to my father. What a revelation of the kindness of God. Because he was honest and true and faithful to you and had continued, and you had continued this great kindness to him today by giving him a son to succeed him. Oh, Lord, my God, now you have made me king instead of my father David, but I'm just a little child who doesn't know his way around, and here I am among your chosen people, a nation so great. How does he remember everything like this from his dream? It's a lot of stuff to remember. Anyway, let's just go on. And so he says, and here I am among your people so great, there's so too numerous. Give me an understanding mind so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great nation of yours? Wow, what a profound thought. Who, right? That's, a, that's, a, that's a, a, a brilliant leadership thought. For who by himself can lead, is able to govern the city? The Lord was pleased with Solomon's reply. And was glad that he had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people. And have not asked for a long, long life of riches for yourself. Or the death of your enemies. Well, he wasn't really a warrior. But I'll give you what you asked for. Uh, I'll give you a wise and an understanding mind. Such as no one else has ever had. And I will also give you what you don't ask for. Those of you who have questions about how prayer works. I'm going to give you also what you don't ask for. Riches and honor. Nor the king of the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my commands as your father David, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up. Solomon, the woke Solomon. And he realized it had been a dream. Thank you, thank you. He returned to Jerusalem and he stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings and then he invited all these officials to a great banquet. Um, such an interesting passage here. The first thing I want to mention to you, sorry my nose seems to be running a little bit. That's okay. Uh, the first thing I want to mention is that um, who took the initiative in this case? It was God. It wasn't Solomon. I, I, get, I just want you to get an understanding. Like God's trying to get something done on the earth. And he needs a man. When God wants to do something, he needs a person. So who, who, who initiated? It wasn't Solomon. Now Solomon's heart was pretty good. Followed in the ways of his dad. It was pretty good. He said, I'm helpless. I'm, he was, it was a humble, honest Plea. It didn't last that long in his life. But at this point, he's, right? And, uh, and I think that's important. And the second thing that happened, um, of course, what happens in a dream, I dream a lot. More and more these days, I think the Lord's giving us more dreams. Uh, in dreams, they're much more uh, poignant and real because they have less of our personal agenda involved. You're, you're, you're unedited in your, in your dreams. And and, I, and I'll probably, maybe I'll even pray for people to have clearer dreams. Um, the problem is when we have dreams, we're, we're inclined to just discount them and not follow them. In this case, he followed the dream. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't trust dreams quite that much yet. But it's, it's amazing, right? And he kind of tested it a little bit later. Chapter 9, he gives them another dream. It's directional. Uh, sometimes it's easier to get through to us 
in a dream because our minds work so well through the day that we don't think that, that couldn't be God. Gosh, I had a wild one this week. Um, Subpoint. that doesn't matter. But, but, he's, but he's, he's dialoguing with Solomon in the dream. And here's why, is because God is always trying to fulfill his agenda on the earth. And he's trying to do something good in our lives. And it says, because you didn't ask for this, I'm not only going to give you that, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. I love that. Surprising. Why didn't he give him, like, if God gives sickness, why doesn't he give him, like, he didn't ask for, why not malaria? Like, or heart disease. Because he's good. He gave him riches and honor. I, I actually like that song by Garth Brooks, uh, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. You learn a lot from a person, you know, when you hear them pray. And so it says to Solomon here, and he says, he comes to, so the word ask is, appears eight times in this chapter. Sometimes we have not because we ask not, maybe. Sometimes we don't have because we ask amiss, maybe. Uh, David, if, you were to, if I were to ask you, who, what were the two dominant sins in David's life? We would probably say, ah, oh, that Bathsheba thing. Bit of, a, bit of a faux pas, a bit of a slip up. And some of you would also say the census that he took, counting the people. Isn't it interesting, if you read about his life, those two things he completely redeemed. From, the, from Bathsheba, he gets a son to inherit the throne. From the counting of the, of the people, he goes up and he purchases a piece of land, Mount Moriah. This is where the temple is about to be built. Do you understand what God wants to do in your life? The greatest flaws, the greatest failures, the greatest mishaps that you've had in your life, when we bring them back to him, he'll redeem it. He, 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 he can cancel the penalty of sin, perhaps not the consequence, but he can cancel the penalty of sin. By the way, did you know that the penalty of sin has been canceled for us all? I, I, so, the enemy, um, my, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. The enemy would like to think that you to think that you're disqualified and deformed and roll over and bury yourself in shame and guilt. That's what he'd like you to do. What the Lord would like to do is remind you of, your, of, of his goodness towards you and his desire to redeem every mess up in your life. That's what he wants to do. In 1 Peter chapter 5 um, and verse 10, um, I guess I didn't mark that. It's okay. I got a Bible. I know where it is. Um, the, the, um, last week, that, that passage um, in Colossians that um, this same good news that came to you is going out over all the world. It's changing lives everywhere. So just as it changed yours, that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness towards sinners. Did you know God is, has great kindness towards you and I? Um, okay, so that's, that was from last week, I know. But First Peter chapter 5, it says, verse 10, In his kindness, God called you to his eternal glory by the means of Jesus Christ. After you've suffered a little while, where's that one there? He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. This is the kindness of God. So we hit these little glitches in our life. But the kindness of God, when we come to him, okay, so you have a little bump in the road. But after that, okay, so there's that little issue, he'll restore, support, strengthen you, and place you on a firm foundation. 
I'm not sure what happened in your life this week or this year, but after you've had a little bit of a hiccup with that and you brought it back to the Lord, it says he will restore, support, strengthen, and he'll place you on a firm foundation. May, uh, the New King James says, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God's not condemning us. He's trying to restore us. God redeemed the adultery when Solomon repented, and the result was his successor, one of the wisest fools that ever lived. Solomon gets his name from the word shalom, peace. The, he, so, so, and things were peaceful in his, in his era. Solomon loved buildings, not battles. His hunger for more resulted in a heavy yoke of taxes on his people. David loved the Lord and had a passion to build his house. At the end, he was the venture capitalist for Solomon. That was really his role at the end. He started out so well as a worshiper, spiritual dreams, walked in the ways of his father, confession, honesty, humility. And in verse uh, 3, it says how he loved the Lord and he came to worship. He came to worship at Gibeah, five miles north of Jerusalem. Just, in, just an interesting little intersection. But our prayers re reveal very much about us. And it says of Solomon that he asked for an understanding heart. I'm just going to come back there for a minute. I'm going to preach to you the gospel, and then we're going to wrap up. But he uses the word, this word, um, give me an understanding mind. Give me an understanding mind so that I can govern your people. The word is shema. It means an understanding heart. The same, it could mean a hearing heart. I love this. Lord, give me a hearing heart. Maybe today the Lord would give you a hearing heart that we could not just have heard once, but be continually hearing what he's saying. Give us a hearing heart. I love that. Um, he would be the one that write, would write in Proverbs chapter 4, keep or guard your heart. The word hearing and obeying come from the same word in Hebrew. It was unthinkable for someone to hear a word and not obey it. This is very much like me as a husband. Kelly said, you, you're not even, you didn't even hear what I said, which is a strange way to start a sentence, I think. <clears throat> I said, no, 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 no. I heard. I just didn't obey. <laughs> it's possible to hear and not obey. God's looking for someone that will hear and obey. He wants an understanding heart, a hearing heart, an obeying heart. This is for us today. I'm segueing slowly here. Solomon was this, the recipient of God's initiative. Verse 15, he wakes up and he worships. I, when, he, when he dedicates the temple, he brings 22,000 head of cattle to be sacrificed. There was, and we raised cattle at home, about 700 head. Uh, there was no room. Like, if you, if you sacrifice, are you getting the picture? 22,000. Have you ever drove past one of those feedlots down by Brooks or something? Okay, so just think he brings them in and slaughters them. Are you getting the proportion? 22,000. He bring, So after, after he wakes up from a dream, he, he, there's a thousand. Man, the flies. After we, we'd worship one, one, one steer once, you know, we'd butcher them, and there's flies everywhere. And 
22,000. Are you getting the magnitude? Um, why is that important for me today? Because every, this one, I want to I make this promise to you today. Every time we gather to worship, there requires a response to the presence of God. There requires an altar. You may not like that about this church. Too bad. I remember when we didn't have an altar. And I asked the Lord, what are we doing gathering? It's about the third year, second year of, of building the church. He said, there's no altar. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, there needs to be a place where people can respond to me. You can say what you want, but people need to respond to me at the end of the day. At the end of every service, we have a response. It's gotten weird since we're not meant to, you know, I can just, last week I said the wrong, I said I want to, I came through in the video apparently that I wanted to touch people. That's not what I want to do. I want to lay hands on people because I'm called as a shepherd to care for people and anoint your heads with oil. I'm called to pray for people. Not just preach to people, I'm called to minister to people. And every time when we gather, and every time when we have a little time of worship, there needs to be a response to that worship. There needs to be some, well, you, 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 you plug in, you, it's like you plug into the power, you respond. You can't put your finger in a light socket and not something happen. You, what we come to meet with God. The house of God is known by the presence of God. So he, he gathers, and it says uh, later, it says that they brought to him 666 um, um, talents of gold. It's interesting, the only other time the word 666 is used in the Bible is Revelation chapter 13. I don't know if that goes together or not. 25 tons of gold. It's just an interesting little note. I'm not saying anything about it because I don't know what it means. Solomon's name, Shalom. Um, here, here's my last point. Um, the critical thing that we need to understand about God is he's always wanted a relationship. Love demands, needs an object. He, the, the reason every person on the earth is created is to experience the love of God. And in doing so, we'll respond to God. The most damaging thing you can do to any relationship is look for flaws and faults in a relationship. If you can't see the positive qualities of the person you're in a relationship with, the relationship will soon end. You have to be, this isn't just for husbands, it's for any relationship. You start finding flaws in your employer, pretty soon that relationship disintegrates. If you start looking for the flaws in the character of God, pretty soon that relationship disintegrates. I want to share in closing that the goal of the gospel is always relationship. The reason I need to say this is because I'm going to invite people to respond to this gospel today. I'm not sure of the gospel you heard, but there's gospels that, that, were, that are mixed with Judaism today. Yeah, God can save you, but you're going to have to do something to earn that salvation. That's not, the, that's not good news. The gospel is good news, and it's the power of God. So... We can't forget that God is love, and love needs an object, and everyone on earth here, we're here for a purpose, to be in relationship with a loving God. Scripture opens up with God initiating by creating. If he needed an army, 
and them to be enlisted, that's what he would have done, but he wanted a family instead. He doesn't need an army and for us to be inscripted. He needs a family. That's what he's looking for, is a family. Um, He wanted to adopt us, not enlist us. He's not looking for a labor force on the earth specifically. History reveals that we act and react like the first Adam. The clearest clue of the old nature is fear, which is the source of every negative emotion. If I don't know that God loves me, I won't obey him. We're told because we won't trust him. We won't trust somebody that that doesn't love you. John chapter 14 says this, if you love me, you will obey me. But here's how we read that in our religious minds. You have to love me to prove, sorry, you have to obey me to prove that you love me. That's not what it says. We love because we've first been loved. That's the God, that's good news. When you don't obey somebody, it's because you don't respect them, trust them, or love them. When I'm convinced that he wants the best and truly loves me, it's easy. Once we learn about his love and about his kindness, it's easy to obey. And the best picture of that is the cross. The penalty of sin that kept us from him, he eliminated, and now he's created, because of the cross, he's created peace. Shalom. Solomon. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It says this. Chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not when we've cleaned up our act, while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, we will, he will certainly save us from God's judgment. For once we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son, while we, are still his, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends with God, not what we can do for him. That's the gospel. That's good news. Excuse me. That's good news. For those of you out in the foyer, that's good news. For those of you online, that's good news. That, That he has done it all. I'm not sure if you're convinced. Demonstrates his love for us by saving us from all wrath. That's that's, That's how that works. God is not angry with you. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 9. It says, so now, man, why don't I mark my Bible? Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 9. It says, just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again flood the earth. Did you know when you see a rainbow, that's his promise. He's not going to flood the earth again. Just like that, just like that, just like that, it says, I won't flood the earth again. So now I swear that I will never again pour out my anger on you. Never again. Are you hearing me? God's not angry and he's not pouring out his anger on you. Don't ask any more questions. Just listen to what I'm trying to say. He's not putting sickness on you. He's not putting disappointment on you. He's wanting to show himself strong on your behalf. 
And then he says here, for the mountains may depart and the hills disappear, but even then I will remain loyal to you. My covenant of blessing or peace will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you, who doesn't give you what you deserve. It's been all poured out on Christ. This gospel is such good news. It's, it's too good to be true. And so he says this, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because that is the power of God. If it's not good news, it won't have power. The gospel has power. You wanna experience the power of God, understand the gospel. He's not talking about us not witnessing to people where he says, I'm, I'm not ashamed. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. If you have a Bible, memorize <clears throat> Romans chapter one and verse 16 where it says, if I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ, it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes what Christ has done. <clears throat> Help me, Holy Spirit. Are you always, is your heart open to hear the revelation of the gospel of peace, that there's now peace between God and man. That now he's not mad at you. He's not angry or disappointed. He's not calling you less than. He's not referring to all the things that you, all your faults and all of the things you're missing and all of your failures. <clears throat> Here's what he says. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. <clears throat> and this was accomplished start to finish by faith. As a scripture said, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This is enough to start a reformation. The just shall live by faith <clears throat> not not faith in what you can do faith is what's been already done we may, well it's so mind-blowing for us and i think sometimes we miss and our, our religious mind thinks that we the fear what what if he's mad i better do something to appease the deity that's not the, that's not good news that i got to work harder the good news is believing what's already been done for us in christ <laughs> The idea that righteousness by faith is very radical. It says in Romans 10, it's a stumbling block. Failure to embrace Jesus as my wholeness, my rightness, will keep me bound in performance to qualify, that I make me trying to add up, measure up, feeling like I'm good enough. Religion functions on lack. The gospel relies on love. When I'm not experiencing the power of God, the issue of righteousness by faith will be the root of it. This is the power that frees me from not enough and it stops the cycle to please that leads to defeat. Being in Christ is the only thing that qualifies me every day. His goodness, not mine. <clears throat> Nobody can ever earn the promises of God, but we can believe them. And let me give you a simple formula. <clears throat> what I do when I feel like something's up, either physically or mentally, I'll quiet myself and I'll say, Lord, <clears throat> did you purchase this dysfunction in your body on the cross? <clears throat> you got to believe he carried every form of cancer in his body on the cross. You got to believe it. Not because of what you do now, but what he did then. 
He, for, he, he carried in his body every thyroid dysfunction, every neurological dysfunction. He carried it in his body. He bore it in his body. Once I, once I identify, okay, did Christ bear this, carry this in his body? If so, am I willing to accept that today? Because the faith based on right, the righteousness based on faith, it'll make you feel like this, I'm complete. There's nothing more I need. I am whole. Not because of what I can do, but what's already been done. Oh Lord, I, I just can't preach this good enough. There's a thing. Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this? That double-mindedness. That happens because we're not sure if God really has a good plan for us or not. I'm not sure whether he will really follow through on his promise or not. I want, I, I want us to, to accept, this is going to sound funny, but not a new gospel, but the good news of what Christ has completely done for us today. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm just about there. I'm just about there. <clears throat> if, if you're online watching right now, or you're in the foyer watching right now, here's what I'm, here's what I'm asking you. Are you willing to accept what Jesus Christ had paid for in his body on the cross? Are you willing to accept the totality of your salvation? Not just will I get to heaven, but wholeness now. Wholeness now. Completeness, completeness now. If you're willing to accept that, I want you to open up your heart right now as I pray. Father, forgive us for accepting a partial gospel that's only kind of good news because we have to do what you didn't do rather than accepting that you did it all. Father, today, I ask for forgiveness for not allowing your righteousness to be imparted to me by faith, not to, by another activity. Lord, I thank you for not just giving us what we ask for, but also giving us what we don't ask for, and that's always good. Thank you for initiating intercession with me by saying, what is it that you want? Lord, today I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would impart that, that revelation that we're righteous by faith in Christ alone. And it's by his blood that we're cleansed, we're forgiven, we're healed, and we're whole. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen and amen. It's a big deal. It's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. Thank you for being together today. God bless you. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Steve to come up and wrap us up. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.